You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. We want you to demand more from your money. Start by knowing what you own and owe. We'll help you take the next step at fidelity.com slash demand more now. Her money comes to you through PRX. Hey, everybody. It's Jean Chatsky. Thanks so much for joining me on Her Money. It has been a while, as Kelly pointed out to me, since I mentioned money principle number one, which is that personal finance is more personal than it is finance. We all have different relationships, experiences, money goals. We all have different financial arcs and different financial journeys. And this week, we are serving as a stop on one woman's journey to financial independence. And when we're talking about financial independence, we are talking about the kind of financial independence where you have the ability to retire early. We are with Jamila Souffrant. She is creator of the blog and the podcast Journey to Launch, and she chronicles her family's experience in the FIRE movement. More recently, and and we will talk about this in just a second, she has embraced this endeavor full-time, which means she is now doing it without having a job on the side. She's also a certified financial educator, and it is a pleasure to have her here. Hi, Jamila. Hi, Jean. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for crossing the bridge from Brooklyn to come over and be with us in the studio. I'm so excited. Uh, well, I'm, I'm really glad. And for those of our listeners who are not familiar with you, you have accomplished an awful lot in a very short period of time. You're 35 years old. You bought your first real estate at 22. And ladies, she's got three kids at home under the age of four. I don't know how it is that you showed up looking so good, because when my kids were that little, I did not look that good ever. I don't know either. It's just every day is a different struggle. Well, um, it is a pleasure to have you here in the studio. Tell me a little bit about you and your own journey to launch. For me, I have... When I look back at everything I've accomplished or I've done to get to this point, it's all had its reason and place. And I always like to say that it starts from my mom having me as a single mom. I was born in Jamaica, the island, and (laughs) she came here um, to provide a better life for me. And because of that, because she was a single mom, she really, really worked hard to provide for me. And I saw that. And I saw the value of money. I saw the value of hard work. And that really stuck with me as I grew up. And in turn, I just knew that I wanted to create a life for myself where I didn't have to worry about money. So I was always very conscious of it. But it wasn't until I got to, like, college and, you know, my 20s and 30s that I started to now make money and financial decisions that would then impact me, like, later on. Many people get to their 20s, and that's when they screw up with money. I mean, when I was in my 20s, that's when I had credit card debt. That's when I blew it with a 401k. What was it about what your mom taught you that made you so smart so young? So the one thing she instilled in me, she ne- she never sat me down and talked about, you know, investing. She didn't know that. She didn't know any of that stuff, but she did teach me how to save. That was the one thing for her and my grandmother coming here without anything, they were able to create a better life for themselves by saving. 
And so even when I got my first job at 14, it was like, Jamila, don't spend anything. You need to save. And she took me to open up my first bank account. I was very young, and I remember that. And so for me, that saving part of things has always been really instilled, and I kind of kept that going as long as I could remember. You went through college and then bought real estate almost as soon as you got out at age 22. How, I mean, and in Brooklyn, and granted, you're 35, so this was 13 years ago and real estate was not quite as expensive, but it wasn't cheap either. How did you do that? Well, yeah, it wasn't as expensive as it is now, but for me, it was very expensive and it was the top of the real estate market when I did buy. And so I did that really because I saw my grandmother buy a home and she could care less about real estate. She just wanted a piece of the American pie. And when I came of age and I was in college, I realized that this property had appreciated a lot from when she bought it. The one your grandmother owned? The one my grandmother owned. And I said, and she didn't even know. She didn't care. And I said, if she could do that without knowing, without caring, from the position she came from, like, I surely can do something. So I got, I piqued my interest. And also didn't hurt that I saw a couple people in the community who owned a lot of homes and investment properties. You know, there was like a couple, just like your average everyday people, but they secretly had a lot of money because they would say, oh, I own that brownstone and that brownstone. It was very subtle, mm-hmm. but I picked up on it. And I said, you know what, I want to own something. And that's kind of what jump-started me into looking for real estate at that young of age. How'd you come up with that down payment? So throughout college, I was lucky enough to have an internship that paid. I was an inroad scholar. And so it's a program that places minority students into Fortune 500 companies. And when I started working as a freshman, so I was my freshman year summer, got my first job interning, and I just saved really like 90% of my check. And at that time, it was like a lot of money for a 19-year-old. So I saved for the the next three years. And then by the time I was now looking for something, I had, you know, a good size of money to really, like, put down for a down payment. My mom also did gift me uh, money to help with the down payment, too. You and your husband have embraced the FIRE movement, which we talked about earlier. We did a whole show on it, episode 145, which for people who are interested, FIRE stands for Financial Independence, Retire Early. Um, Episode 145 is like a a primer. You can dive into that and you can learn a lot about it. But what was it about this notion of financial independence that was so appealing to you? And what did your husband think when you first said, hey, I think we should do this? It was appealing to me because, you know, I didn't really find out about it until I was pregnant with my first son. And so I worked throughout my 20s and my job was okay. I was earning good money and I worked my way up, but I always felt something was missing And it wasn't until I was stuck in my car in a commute for a long time, it was almost four hours, that I broke down and I was pregnant at the time. And I said, I need to find something, like another way. Mm -hmm. So I Googled and um, started searching, like, how to quit my job, how to retire early, all these catchphrases, and came across blogs and podcasts of people reaching this thing called financial independence and retiring early from corporate jobs and traveling the world and doing all these fun things that seemed appealing to me at the time. So I remember coming home to my husband, and, you know, it took some time. So I started to listen to the podcast and read blogs and got some books and came home to him eventually and said, what do you think of this, like, idea if we could, like, actually, like, quit our jobs eventually or not have to work for anyone else or just to do work that we loved without worrying about the paycheck? And, of course, he looked at me and said, what are you What are you talking about? <laughs> he was a little skeptical at first, but I think as he saw me, learn more about it and really map out a plan in which we can realistically like reach those goals. He started to get more on board and 
it worked out that way. And it enabled you in the last year to put away, to save and invest a huge amount of money, more than $85,000. Can you get real with the numbers for us? Because I'm wondering, okay, what's the income on which you are able to put that much money away? And what compromises, what trade-offs did you have to make in order to do it? What are you missing? So that's a great question because I think it's it's fair and it's like something we should like discuss, especially in the fire movement, because a lot of people who are able to reach it, if they're able to reach it in a short amount of time or save a lot of money, it's because their income is at a good level. So we were saving and investing at the time that we were aggressively doing that, almost half of our income. And so my husband's a teacher, a New York City teacher, and, you know, I worked in corporate real estate investments. And so we had, I had my bonus, he had overtime and, you know, after school and morning school. So there are ways in which we boosted our income to be able to do that. But I'd say primarily, we also didn't, when we started this journey, we had paid off all our consumer debt at that time. So we were able to really focus all our efforts on saving and investing, whereas maybe someone who's just finding out about this, like they maybe have to focus on some debt first. So we were able to then now, once we found out that we wanted to do this, once I convinced him and he realized it was a good, it was a good idea, we, start, we said to ourselves, like, okay, so how can we do this? How can we live a good life now? Because that was a key word where, you know, we're not super frugal um, in terms of, you know, we only like eat beans, nothing wrong with beans, right? But we still wanted to enjoy life. So it was that cross between enjoying life now reasonably, but then saving and investing aggressively to reach this goal. And um, I think for most people who hear about the fire movement, it seems a bit overwhelming or maybe something they don't want to do. And I like to modify it and say you have to create, it can be anything that you want it to mean. So in my case, it meant I wanted to retire from my corporate job to do work I loved. It never meant stopping working at all um, completely. It just meant I would not have to rely on this job to keep our finances and life afloat. And my husband, he still wanted to work. He loves being a teacher. And so we kind of crafted our plan around that and said, okay, so how much do we have to save and invest right now? Like, how aggressive could we get? And we just created a plan around that. Can we dig into the savings rate even a little bit more? The 50% savings rate, how did that change for you and for your husband from what he was doing before? It was actually a big change. I mean, the biggest thing I'd say is the reason a lot of that money, more than half of that was in our pre-tax retirement accounts. As a teacher, he had access to two pre-tax retirement accounts. He had a 403B through his job, and he had a 457 through the state. So that really allowed him to save a lot of his check pre-tax and also save on taxes. I also had a 401k. So that's how we were able to really like sock away a lot of that money before taxes and then make it automatic. So we didn't even see it. We had to just live off what was left in our checks. That was helpful. That's helpful for a lot of people when you don't even have to make the decision anymore. It's kind of made for you. Like this is the money you have left. Prioritize it that way. And so for him, actually, it was a big change because before we made this leap into saving and investing so much, he was doing the minimum like towards his retirement accounts. And so when I approached him and said, 
if this is a goal that we both want to make. And I want to be clear that this is something that he is totally like on board in. I didn't <laughs> I didn't twist his arm to do this. But when we sat down and talked about it and he saw what kind of life we could live, he also saw for me the kind of stress it, it was to be now this mom. We, our family was expanding. My commute was really bad. So he said, okay, let's try this. So he had to eventually start contributing like the bare minimum that he was doing to almost 50% of his paycheck. But the way we were able to come to terms with that, the way he was able to come to terms with that was we did it gradually. So I let him figure out how quickly he wanted to do that. And he so he kind of made that decision. And then on top of that, we looked at everything that we brought in as like one. So it no longer was like a separation of, okay, this is my paycheck and this is your paycheck. And now I'm bringing in less because more is going towards retirement. It was this is like the big pot that we it's both of us, even if it's more money on my paycheck that's going in because you're putting more into retirement, it's still as beneficial for the family. So that kind of like switching of the framework really helped um, him feel more at ease with, wait a second, why is like my my paycheck is like cut in half now? A lot of people ask me the question of yours, mine, and ours accounts versus merging everything. It sounds like you went from having more of a three-pot system into merging everything. Was that at all difficult to do? And do you think more people should be merging their money? So I'll tell you this. We actually already were merging our money at that point, but I still think it was thought of separately. So it's funny. if You can still maybe be putting something into a, a joint saving or checking account, but there's still a lot of identity around how much each person is contributing. Mm-hmm. So that, I think, was still going on for us. And then when it came time to creating these goals for the family, we didn't even change a, like the account. The accounts were still the same, but our minds had to shift around that. I also think the fact that he did it gradually probably helped a lot. You know, if you try to go cold turkey with this stuff, if you just try to boost your savings rate from 6% to 50%, you are going to feel cut off at the knees. And he did it. So he did like 1% or 2% uh, for a couple paychecks. And then he came home and said, let's just try it. Because the biggest thing I said to him was, we can always reverse this. If this feels too uncomfortable or scary and we're not happy and you're not happy, this can go back. And I think that made him feel comfortable and me comfortable because it was like, okay, if we go too far, we can always dial it back. And then just to answer your previous question, I think couples, I think you can get further towards your goals when you combine your money, when you look at it as one. And that's kind of the way we're able to really, really come together mentally, like physically, like to do this because otherwise we'd just be working in silos, like and not really being able to put our forces together to do it. Three kids is a lot of kids. I just wrote my final check for college. My kids have not told me they want to go to graduate school. And if they do, that's going to be at least in part on them. But what are you doing as far as saving for college goes? When we were aggressively saving and investing, so we had to take that a break now because our priorities shifted a bit. We were contributing to 529 accounts. And that has now like paused. They do get some contributions still from like my mom, their grandmom. So that's like helpful. Like they're still getting that. But in order to prioritize like life today and like being able to kind of just live the way we want now, we put that on pause. But once things get back to normal, hopefully in a couple years, we'll start investing back in them. And my kids are pretty young still. So we're hoping we can just get back on track a little later. Sounds good. And hopefully somebody will do something about the cost of college. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. 
you and your husband clearly have the secret sauce when it comes to talking about money, and I want to dig into that in just a second. But first, let me remind everybody that Her Money is proudly sponsored by Fidelity Investments. What if you could demand more from your money? What if you could make your savings work as hard as you do? And what if that helped you reach your financial goals faster? As Jamila's been talking about, it all starts with a checkup and an understanding of what you own and what you owe. From there, Fidelity can work with you to evaluate your investment options and ways to grow your savings. And you can get started today at fidelity.com slash demand more now. We are happily talking with Jamila Souffrant of Journey to Launch. All right, just give it to me. What is it that gets you to the point where you can openly, easily have these conversations with your spouse about money? What's the secret? Okay, so the secret is that it's definitely not as easy as it like seems. So I think that's to perception that it's easy. And so when it doesn't feel easy when you're doing it, you feel like you're failing. And so I'd say that this was not necessarily like an easy thing for us. You know, we've been together for a long time. So we do, we, we, we kind of are very familiar with each other and kind of our triggers and what we want, but it wasn't necessarily like easy. So I think for anyone who's like thinking of how to approach their spouse, and it doesn't have to be on to get to save 50% of your income, right? But just to get on the same page, it's going to take some conversation. And I like to say the biggest thing is just because I had this epiphany. So when I was in the car and I had that breakdown, and I started Googling, like, I was getting excited about all, like, things we could do. His journey or his wants are different, and the way he came to terms with it was different. So when I came home, I didn't say, okay, I found this out, and now, like, we need to do this. It was very important for me to be patient and let him come to it on his own, because the last thing I wanted him to feel was that, you know, this is all, like, Jamila's thing, and I'm being lost here. And then the other thing I made sure to do was, like, my goal was to be able to quit my job or retire early from my corporate job. One of his goals was, and still is, I believe, is to, like, buy a nicer car. We, so some of the things when you ask, like, what we did to, like, get to where we did, what we did, you know, we had nicer cars in our 20s. You know, we kind of gave that up. We drive more economical cars now. And I know deep down he would like a nicer car again. So for me, I'm looking at him and saying, okay, so how could we possibly make that still a reality in, you know, a few years. You know, I'm not just crossing that out just because I don't care about a, new, a better or a new car now. Um, so I think when you take your partner's wishes and goals and just what they want into consideration, and so it's not just about you, it's helpful. It's like, how can you both work towards a family goal, but then separate goals too? It's this underlying respect and understanding that you're not exactly the same. And so many people expect their spouse, partner to want exactly what they want when that's totally unrealistic. Right. You mentioned the corporate job and that your goal was to quit the corporate job. And you've quit the corporate job to focus full time on Journey to Launch, which was a side gig for a very long time. How does that feel? It feels amazing. I mean, it's scary. You know, I walked away from something very comfortable. And, you know, the idea that I started this journey and said, if we can aggressively save and invest, you know, half of our income for the next seven years, we'll be able to, like, reach this financial independence number. And then really, not that we never have to worry about money again, but we'd be so, like, comfortable where I could walk away from this job. And I kind of just jumped ship way before, like, the desired or the target. And so to walk away from that kind of guaranteed income is scary. But that's the thing I, I love about this movement and my journey on this and why I want 
people to join it is because even if you don't reach it, even if it takes you 10, 15, 20 years to reach it, whatever that is, whatever you, you figure out when you pay off debt and you invest and you start saving more, the more you travel along it, the more options to open up for you. If we didn't start saving and investing as much, I wouldn't have been in a position to quit my job, not with like a mortgage and through just having a third baby in New York City, but because we, you know, we got our finances in order, we were out of debt, we saved and invested. And, you know, at, at, actually at some point, well, when I found out I was pregnant and I knew I wanted to eventually leave my job earlier, we had to like create a buffer account to kind of cover expenses. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, we had to actually stop saving and investing aggressively because now we needed this cash to kind of like cover what the income I would like lose doing this. And so again, like I think just beginning this journey has allowed me so many options. Even though I have not reached financial independence yet, I'm able to now live a life that's more fulfilling because I'm doing work that I feel like I'm, I'm called to. So that for me is exciting. Last question. You mentioned how a big part of the aggressive saving and investment was shoving a lot of money into his 403B and 457, but also your 401k, which you lost when you left that corporate job. What are you doing now? So now we are still prioritizing investing in our Roth IRAs. And then eventually, as Journey to Launch um, makes more income, want to get back into um, investing more pre-tax money. But we had to kind of pause that to kind of focus on being able to take the leap. Jamila Soufrant, Journey to Launch is the site and the podcast. It's been terrific having you here. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Jean. Absolutely. And we'll be right back with Kelly and the Mailbag. And Kelly Hultgren, our producer, has joined me in the studio. Nice to see you. Good to see you, too. Has trying to go full fire ever been a consideration for you? I mean, I'm just so impressed by the fact that they've done this in New York. Yes, with three kids. With three kids. With three kids. Three kids, by the way, who are too young to ask for anything, I should point out. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting to think of how that will change as her kids get older. This was helpful for me because I've gone on record saying before that fire seems unrealistic for me. And I, in some ways, can relate so much to her story and where she lives and her goals. And it was helpful to have someone who is not much older than me, break it down how she's doing, I still can't connect to it. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if the connection stems from the idea that I haven't been at a place in my career where I'm looking at the exit or I'm hoping that the exit comes soon, right? Like, I don't know if I've experienced that dissatisfaction, and I don't even say the word dissatisfaction because that might not be the case, but I haven't craved the freedom that it sounds like all these people are craving and controlling their careers or are being their own bosses. By the way, I'm 25 years down the road from you in my career, Mm -hmm. and I've never craved it either. But you have been your own boss for a long time, but you you didn't crave it back then? I associate... No, first of all, I yeah. didn't. I did not crave it back then. I got fired. <laughs> I mean, no, you know this. No, I, could, I do. I do. I got. I, I got fired, and I started a company <laughs> as a response to getting fired because I couldn't find another job that would replicate my prior income. So, I can imagine like them telling you you're fired, and you're like, no, I'm not. 
<laughs> you're not doing this to me. <laughs> no, there were there were tears. There Aww. there were tears. I would cry. Uh, that's all right. But um, I don't associate me launching this business with an escape. Mm-hmm. I associate it with a continuation of being able to do the work that I was loving doing. Mm -hmm. So for me, it wasn't getting out of something and into something else more fulfilling. I was already fulfilled. Yeah, yeah. So I think maybe that's what I'm not connecting to because I guess that's what really just, like, puts people on overdrive and gives them that, like, obsession that they need in order to do it. I don't have it. Although the one thing that I have been and will have to— We'll have to have him back to talk about this. But I I was on the phone earlier in the week with David Bach. Oh. Uh, he was just checking in. He's We've, awesome. He's awesome. We've had him on the show before. We'll have him on the show again. And he is moving to Florence for a year. Well, he also did the sabbatical. I know. He convinced his ex-wife to allow him to take the son that they have together. Mm-hmm. He and his wife now are going with their son. They've got them into school in Florence, they are going for—they're going this summer, and they're going for a year. I wonder if he was inspired by Carl Richards, who picked up and went to New Zealand, who we should also have back on the show. Yeah. I'm a huge Carl fan. So I would like to do that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but I, I would like to do that 10 years ago. You know, I'd right. like to do it 20 years ago. I think if I did it now, my kids have such independent lives that my fear is, what am I, not going to see my kids for a year? Like, that— Oh, my goodness. They would totally come. Are you kidding me? I guess they would. But I'll they... come. Okay. I'll bring them. Okay. <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. I'll be in charge of that. All right. Deal. <laughs> we, we'll work out logistics. What do we have in the mailbag? Sure. We have one from Laura. She writes, my husband and I are wondering about maxing out our 401ks. We have both contributed 5 to 8% throughout our careers so far. We're 28. We have investments, automated 3% to go to our robo-advisors each month. We have a three-month emergency fund and have other savings areas. In other words, having kids in the next two years is one of their goals. We just bought a house and a car, so we have monthly payments for both. I keep hearing we should max out our 401ks, but if we do that, we won't be saving cash for bigger rainy day funds, kids, etc. We have other goals where we need the money soon. I'm thinking of moving some of our emergency to high-interest savings and CDs to put that money to work, but still have it available. What are your thoughts? Should we prioritize maxing out our 401ks? If yes, how? And I should add that we live in San Francisco, which has a high cost of living. As we were saying, yes, yes, San Francisco, New York. Mm -hmm. So a couple of things I think are low-hanging fruit in this equation. Absolutely move your savings to high interest rate savings. Like, no doubt. I recently moved some of mine around Citizens Bank is offering 2.35%. There is another bank offering 2.45%. Capital One is offering high twos as or not high twos, low twos as well. So, yes, you should do this. It's easy, and you can still have the money accessible to you. What I'm not understanding in the 401k maxing out portion of the question is, why do you have 3% going into a separate robo-advisor? If that money could be going into your 401k, you could be getting a tax deduction on it. And you could also be having it taken out of your paycheck in the form of paycheck withdrawals. That, to me, would be the easy road to boosting 
that 401k contribution toward maxing out. You should absolutely grab any matching dollars. If you are not maxing out your 401ks because you don't like the options in your 401ks, that's one thing. But otherwise, I would just simplify by doing that, and I think that would bring you closer to your goal. And the other thing that you didn't mention but may be underlying your question is it's possible that 3% in the robo is going into a Roth. If you're trying to diversify from a tax perspective, check with your employer to see if your 401ks offer a Roth option. Many do, and that may help you as well. Nice. Okay. Now we'll do one from someone who would like to remain anonymous. My fiance and I are buying our first home, which will occur before our wedding. However, for various reasons, the mortgage will be in my name only. The down payment is also from my premarital savings. We are evaluating our options in terms of the title of the home. Very unromantic conversation, but necessary as your podcast has taught me. Yes. While I want to protect the down payment and the loan obligation I'll have in the case of a divorce, God forbid, I also want to be fair to my soon-to-be husband. He will be contributing to our household finances, which would allow me to service our loan payments while still enjoying the same standard of living as pre-purchase. The mortgage payment is one-third of our joint monthly income. I contribute two-thirds to our joint income, and he contributes one-third. Question. How would you recommend we handle the title of the home so that both sides are protected in the event of a divorce, yet can share in the benefits of home ownership? Ooh. I've got one word. Prenup. Oh, yes. Yes, Anonymous. Prenup. 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 So here is how my non-legal brain is thinking that a lawyer will likely handle this. Mm-hmm. You you want a prenup that essentially specifies this was the amount that you put into the house, but that over time you will be contributing at such and such a rate so that you will share in the equity that you accrue in the home over time. Mm-hmm. But that initial down payment that you make should accrue back to you. And it would likely do that without a prenup. I say this because when I got married the first time, my ex-husband made the down payment on our home. He did it with money that he had had before we got married. It was in a separate account. It was not commingled. And when we divorced, he got full credit for the down payment that he put on the home. So as long as the assets aren't commingled, it may happen that way. But you live in California, which is a community property state, which makes it even more difficult. So prenup. It's good that you're thinking about it ahead of time. And Mm -hmm. by the way, anybody who goes into a marriage with substantial assets should have a prenup. My ex-husband probably should have asked me if I would sign one. Mm -hmm. Also, you know, it's not romantic, but it's important. Yeah. And, you know, by the way, it's not such a big deal either. I have one now. Elliot and I got a prenup. My mother got a prenup before she got married the next time. It was no biggie. Not an expert in this area, but if it is a biggie, then that might be a red flag. It might. Never know. We'll do one more from Caroline. I have a high deductible health plan, but my employer doesn't offer an HSA. I funded one of the new Fidelity ones in full in December, and I'd like to go ahead and fund it for 2019 now. But if I leave my job before the end of the year, would that pose a problem or break any rules if I no longer am covered under a high deductible health plan? Yeah, it it actually would. So the way that the rules work on this 
if you were to leave a plan mid-year, you would only be able to make the contribution for whatever you qualified for to that point in the year. So the number of months in which you stayed in that high deductible health plan or what you qualified for in December, which is typically less if you've left the plan before then. So what I would say is divide your monthly contribution by 12 and then make it monthly. Don't put yourself in a position where you're going to get ahead of the plan for this year. If at any point during the course of the year, it becomes very clear to you that you're going to stay with this plan throughout the year, then you can go ahead and finish it up. Nice. Thank you, Jean. Thank you so much. And on today's Thrive segment, Jamila's story has me wondering, do you feel engaged in what you're doing at work? And by the way, MiriamWebster.com has no fewer than six definitions for the word engaged, the first of which is busy. The third is committed to, with betrothed falling into second place. I guess it's the third that would be committed to that inspired only 15% of workers worldwide to respond to a Gallup poll that, yes, they are engaged in their jobs. The percentage, fortunately, is double that, 30% in the U.S., but it's still pretty dismal. So what can you do to find more meaning? Ginny Brzezinski of NBC's Know Your Value took a dive into that question, specifically aiming to help women who've taken breaks from work to raise children or care for older parents or who are trying to change careers. But I think her advice, along with the help of career strategist Diane Flynn, co-founder of Reboot Excel, applies A, not just to women, and B, not just to transitions, but to anyone trying to be more satisfied with what they do with their working hours in 2019. She suggests spending a little bit of time isolating your core strengths and competencies, pulling together an inventory of things that you are particularly good at. And by the way, this is not only helpful if you're looking for jobs in your current field, but also if you're trying to convince a company in a different field to take a chance on you because it gives you a way to explain what you can add to that new team. It's also important to know what your core values are and understand what sort of companies and careers sync up with them. Flynn says, unless your core values are aligned with your work, you will never find fulfillment. So true. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thank you to Jamila for the fantastic conversation. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. Those reviews are important. We love hearing what you think. We also want to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. We record this podcast in CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Track Tribe, and our show comes to you through PRX. Join us next week. We'll be back with Chris Hogan, who is out with a new book, Everyday Millionaires. We'll talk soon.